2 Kings chapter 4, starting with verse 8. Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, uh, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, and it was probably a really good burrito, and so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. She said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us make a set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. One day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And we had called her. She stood before him. He said, she, uh, he said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? She answered, I live among my own people. So he said, then what shall be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. When he called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, at this season next year, you will embrace a son. She said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not, let your, uh, uh, do not lie to your maidservant. It's the days before Cialis and Viagra. No, I'm sorry. I just threw that in there. The woman conceived and bore a son. <laughs> That's not in your Bible, sorry. Um, that was in the NIV version, the Niforatos inspired version. But anyway, uh, the woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year as Elisha had said to her. When the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father to the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. <laughs> Isn't that typically guy, all right? I mean, the, guy's, the kid's having a problem and the father says, take him to his mom. Amen. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon and then died. Everyone say, boo-hoo. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. He said, why will, you, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, it will be well. Is this guy a doofus or what? Right? Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. Then the man of God saw her at a distance. She said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, there's the Shunammite. Please, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone for her soul is troubled within her and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask a son from my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. And if you meet any man, do not salute him. And if you, anyone salutes you, do not answer him and lay my staff on the lad's face. The mother of the lad said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. Then Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the lad's face, but there was no sound or response. So he returned to meet him and told him, the lad has not awakened. Everyone say, boo-hoo. When Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. He went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on him, and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked up in the house once back and forth and went up and stretched himself on him, 
And the lad sneezed seven times, and the lad opened his eyes. He called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came into him, she, he said, take up your son. Then she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed herself to the ground, and she took up her son and went out. Everyone say, woohoo! Now, I want to tell you, because there's so much in this story, but at my speed, we'll be able to get through it. Hear me, all right? There's a lot here in this particular story, and I want to paint a picture for you. Um, I want you to see what happens here, because this woman is not a servant of God. She doesn't know the Lord. So here's this woman, who's the Shunammite, and here she is, here in this place, and, and she sees this guy going by. Now, I want to talk to you about something that's really important. This woman is spiritually sensitive. Can somebody shout amen? amen? Because she recognizes that he is more than just a man, and this man represents a move of God. She he represents the presence of God. So she doesn't equate him to God, but she sees that this man is actually a man of God and that he's going to bring the presence of God into her house. So she sees him walking by, and she invites him in with some hospitality. Now, I just want to say this. Hospitality rules. We need to be hospitable people. You know what's fascinating? When you ask people, tell me, what do you think is important in God's heart for a man or woman of God to be a leader in the house of God? You know, you ask that question. In other words, when you get saved, you know, your goal is not to get saved and just sit around in church. Your goal is to be prepared to be, prepared to be a radical Holy Ghost terrorist for Jesus Christ. God wants to loose you on a world and let go all of his power through you. Somebody shout amen. amen. You know, you are somebody in the Lord. God didn't desire you to just sit around. It's like, oh, let me just go to church and sit around and make it to heaven and play harps. No. I mean, the bottom line is God designed you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You can do it. Amen. You can do it. <laughs> are you hearing me? Right? God designed you to do this stuff. Now, I want you all to hear me really well, okay? So this lady invites him in. We have to be hospitable people. I always say to people, do you ever look at your face? I mean, look in the mirror sometime. Does it ever scare you? I mean, I just want to ask. You know, some people, I look at them, and they're like this. You know, you walk up to them and say, well, I love the Lord. Well, you know, get another face because that doesn't convince me. I had some lady at a church once tell me, she's like, she's looking at me, she goes, but this is just the face I have. I said, we could take an offering. There's surgery for that. Amen. In fact, if you don't want to take that kind of money and spend it, there's an attachment to your vacuum cleaner that'll help. Come on. You know, get it back there, suck the face off. <laughs> or go to a cold climate, throw water on your face, step outside. I mean, it's like natural Botox. Hear me, all right? The, the point is, is that, come on, you shouldn't look like a bass that's going after a lure when people walk into church. Am I making sense to anybody? You know what, man? I mean, I just, <laughs> listen, people tell me, I'm just a naturally quiet person. Well, bless you. All right, I'm just, I'm just quiet. Quiet shows reverence. Quiet does not always show reverence. Quiet can mean death. Quiet can mean boredom. Quiet can mean coma. Are you hearing me? You know, do you ever notice when they, whenever they catch somebody who's been a mass murderer, who's like killed 27 people, eaten their bodies and put their bones in the crawl space of their house, and the media goes out and they're asking all the neighbors, well, did he use hot sauce? I mean, I don't want to know that, right? But they go out and they're interviewing neighbors and they always go up to the neighbors and they, what do the neighbors always say about the guy who killed 27 people and buried them in the crawl space? What do they always say? He was a nice guy and he was such 
a quiet guy. Oh, yeah. Next time you go into church and you're standing next to somebody during worship where we're just shaking our booties for Jesus, and you're standing next to somebody who's like this, possible mass murderer right there. I'm just saying. Right? You know, listen. Look, if you're the kind of person who puts your hand in a fire, and you're the kind of person who says this kind of a prayer, Oh, Lord, I, I do now, while well, your hand's in the fire, Oh, Lord, I do now beseech thee, verily mine God, that thou would helpest me to extricate, verily, these my burning digits, out of the fire that do doth burn them. This I pray in the name of thy holy servant Jesus. Amen. And ouchith. If you pray a prayer like that, first, personally, I think you need a doctor. But the bottom line is, I don't think that's the way you're going to pray. I don't think you're going to pray a lot differently. In fact, I think you're going to act a lot more like me. Amen? <laughs> I think it's going to be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Even if you don't believe in tongues, you're going to break in that tongues. Right? There needs to be some form of passion. Well, listen, I want you to, I want you to know this. We need to kind of connect with God. We need to be people that are hospitable. We need to have some kind of passion that makes people realize, you know what? We like you. We were driving through San Francisco, and I just kept looking around. And, and Pastor even said it. I'm like, you're so right. He said, people are miserable here. I mean, here's this beautiful city that doesn't know how to drive, and we're driving there. By the way, I love being in the car with your pastor. I tell you, I never felt so close to God driving with your pastor. I'll tell you what, I'm just <laughs> saying it right now, man. Man, my, my faith went up a whole other level. I'm like, praise God, Jesus, I'm going to see you soon. Amen. No, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, it was awesome. It reminds me of me. I love driving like that, but then I got saved. But anyway, so um, <laughs> um, that was so bad. I'm never getting invited back. Hear that? But anyway, so, so I mean, I'm just telling you, <laughs> there goes the offering. But anyway, so. Those poor orphans, they're all going to die. <laughs> um, uh, uh, the, the fact is, you, the fact is, man, I mean, it was, but you, you live in a beautiful area. The Bay Area is beautiful. So why are people so mad? I mean, I get it. It's raining a lot. <laughs> you know, but the bottom line is, is I like this all the time, right? You know, the bottom line is, why are people mad? Why are they angry? Why are they so mean? Why are they, you know what, man? We can win this place if we just were happy. People aren't going to determine my happiness. I'm going to be happy with them anyway. Yeah. I said to somebody, I said, hey, how's your day going? And they looked at me and said, horrible. And I said, why, it's great. Hang out with me. <laughs> you know, man, guys, the people are not going to, they're not going to put out the fire that's burning inside of me. Amen. The more people are unkind, the happier I get and the madder they get. <laughs> so either they get saved or they run away. I've had some run away, trust me. But hear this, we need to be hospitable, yep. Right? So we need to invite people in because you never know when you're inviting an angel unaware. She invited a blessing that came into her house. So she was hospitable. Everyone say hospitable. And she was spiritually sensitive. Say spiritually sensitive. She was discerning. Say discerning. You know what, guys? We need to understand the seasons that God is asking us to operate in. We need to understand the seasons of what's going on in the world around us. And we need to jump on with what God is doing. Can somebody shout amen? You know what? You might as well hold on to Jesus because it's in for a glory joy ride. Amen? I tell you what, I've been on a glory joy ride for a long, 32 years, 33 years almost. And I want to tell you something, man. It has been a glorious thing for me. Amen? So she's sensitive. She invites him in. And she says to her husband, man, I sense that this is a man of God. Now, her husband is completely clueless. 
I mean, when you read this story, it's personally embarrassing because I'm looking and going, oh, come on, man. You know, he's completely clueless. But I want you to see, she made room for God in her house. I mean, this is really important because without making room, the miracle that happens in her life doesn't happen. She makes room for God in her life. You know what? We're way too busy. In our discipleship, what we do is we, uh, there's a phrase that we hammer in at everybody, and it's this, barren busyness. Barren busyness. You know where you're busy and you're doing good things. It may even be God things. It may even be church things. But it's not productive for what God's asking you to do in your life. You know, sometimes we replace our church activity for our personal devotion to God. You know, you still have to have your personal prayer time. You can't just say, well, I'm coming to church tonight, so that'll suffice. That doesn't suffice. You know what? you got to make room for God in your house. This lady didn't just make room. They built a freaking addition to the house. Do you realize the time and investment? She said, let's build a room and let's fill it with some furniture and have him come there. And the guy comes out, he was attracted to the open space. Oh, now that's going to preach. I tell you what, she opened up a room and where it was empty, that's where the man of God and where the presence of God filled it. You know, can I tell you something? For most of us in our lives, can I tell you something? For most of us in our lives, you know what we're doing? We're, saying, we're inviting Jesus coming, to come in, but it's all crowded, crowded up in here, so we're keeping him on the porch outside. You know, we're, we got so much junk on the inside here. You know what happens? I don't care how unclean your house may be. When visitors are coming over, every guy in this room and every child in this room knows that mama is going to make sure everybody is assigned a task to get the place clean. Am I right, yes or no? Come on. Because mama's saying, oh, no, you're coming, and you're going to go home early, and you are going to be busy because these people are coming over. I don't care. Take the bodies and put them somewhere else, but they are not going to be in here anymore. You know, I, I just said that, didn't I? But anyway, so here, the, right? the bottom line is you know everything's like, I mean, you may not, you, you may just be putting them in a drawer, but you're like, pick up all this stuff, the dead cat that's been dead there for three weeks, and you're putting them in one of those drawers. But these people are coming over because you know what? You want to make your best impression for the people that are coming over. Am I right? Yes or no? Yes. Do you realize if you want God in your house, the same's got to be true in you? There's stuff that God doesn't want to see. And there's stuff that's got to come out. There's stuff that he wants to deal with. You know what? When God speaks to you and God says, get this out of your life, he's not saying that because he wants to ruin your life. He's saying that because he wants to fill the empty spots that are in your life with himself. He wants to fill it with glory and power and goodness and mercy and uh-huh. He wants to serve it with all this stuff. Let me, he wants to uh, fill it with himself. He wants to come in and fill these spaces. And too often in our lives, we're cluttering God out. You know, I look, I'm Greek, 100% purebred Greek. You know why I have a mustache? Because I want to look just like my mother. Now, hear this, okay? I want to tell you something. We Greeks are hairy people. <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. But I actually told my mom that. I said to my mom, I said, you know, mom, you know why most Greek guys have mustaches? Because we went just like our mothers. And she hit me. She goes, I do not have a mustache. But you know, she really does. <laughs> you know. Anyway, um, hear this. So my mom, my mom, I mean, man, I mean, she, she just wanted to make sure, my mom wanted to make sure everything was cool and everything was awesome. And when people came over, they felt like they were treated like the best, man. And you know what? The same thing is true about God. But people, we, I grew up poor. Can I tell you something? People always wanted to be at our house. They always got food. I don't know where my parents came up with it, but they always came up with food. 
My goodness, people would walk out. She would clothe them. They would walk out with pieces of furniture from her house. My mom said, don't worry about it. We're always going to have things. It's okay. Just give away stuff. You know what? I learned even before I got saved, never resist a generous impulse. Amen? So we were generous. We were kind. And you know what? It attracted everybody in the neighborhood who always be coming over. They always came over for dinner. They always came over for something. I mean, they were always coming over for something. You know what, guys? I realized back then, you've got to make your house attractive for people to come. And it's not by making it more beautiful or having more toys. It's by opening up the doors and serving people. It's by having something on the table and making the place beautiful. And you know what? The same thing is true about God. God is attracted to the beauty that comes. God is attracted to the beauty that is inside of us. God is attracted. And when he's telling you to get rid of junk out of his life, it's because he wants you to make room in your life. We're trying to hold on. You know what we do? We invite Jesus over. I remember it was kind of hard for me. I mean, there are some places in America you go and you show up, you knock at somebody's door and say, hey, you know, they're a neighbor, they're a friend and all the rest. And you know what? They keep the door closed and you're sitting there talking to them while you're in there. You, that never happened in our house. If you go knock down the door, they open up the door and before about 10 minutes had passed, you're sitting at the kitchen table and somebody's serving you something to eat. You know, here, uh, are you hungry? No, I just ate. That's okay. I make you something anyway. I mean, that's just the way we are. And so we're going to serve you something. And so you end up sitting down there and we invite you in. So it's like it was a culture shock for me, kind of going to some people's homes in America where you knock on their door like, hey, and they know you. And they're like, they're standing behind the screen door while they're talking to you. And you're like, aren't you going to invite me in? I'm like your friend. I'm your neighbor. And they're like, you're lucky to be there. But you know, we do the same thing with Jesus. We're leaving him on the, on the porch thinking he doesn't know what's in the house. We don't want him to see anything because we got stuff going on in here and we don't want him to see it. We got some X-rated stuff over here. We got some R-rated stuff over there. We got some bad stuff over there. We don't want him to see it. He sees all of it. And we're trying to keep him out. We are doing things in our lives we need to get rid of. He wants to fill the spaces that are empty with things that are good. Get rid of the junk. Leave it at the altar. I know what you're thinking, but man, I, when, I, when I resist those things and I get those things out of my life, I feel so, I, I, you know, it's like you're going through withdrawal, especially if you've been hooked on drugs or other things in your life, you'll understand this. You know, you're like, you're like it's empty, man, it's empty. Because, you know, everybody says, okay, get saved, God delivers you. Well, that's true. God will save you in an instant, deliver you in an instant. But here's the problem. See, people think they're still bound to these things. But what you don't understand is you don't have the right perspective. See, what happens is, you know, if you ever notice when they're building a, a building, right? What's on the outside of the building that, they're, that the workers are standing on as they're building and working on things? Scaffolding, right? So they have the scaffolding on the outside. Well, here's what happens. When you get saved and come to Jesus, I mean, man, he tears that whole building down. It's boom, it's done. He saves you and delivers you instantly. But it takes a while for the scaffolding to come down. Because I always say to people, you know, man, this guy was an alcoholic, right? This guy's an alcoholic all of his life. Gets saved, gets filled with the Holy Spirit, set free and delivered. But you know what, man? He used to spend five hours every day feeding that addiction he had in his life. You know, he'd go to the bar. He had all these relationships. He'd spend all these hours talking, playing pool, doing this other stuff, and then, go, you know, go home drunk as a skunk and do horrible things to his family. But now the guy gets saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. He's like, oh, man, this is awesome. But you know what? Nobody ever realizes he's got five hours of his days getting now Phil. That he doesn't know what to do with those five hours. And you know what? When you're going through about the second hour of like, well, what do I do? I'm just sitting around the house. I don't know what I'm doing. You start getting antsy because you're used to things that are like, in this society, we just, we're just hooked on adrenaline. 
we're just hooked on entertainment. It's all this stuff that's always going. It's like, oh, man, I need something, man. I'm just going to, you know, and you start going through the withdrawal. And you think it's the withdrawal from the substance, but it actually is the withdrawal from all the life that you built around the substance. And you're like, man, what do I, what do, I do, man? I mean, I used to, like, call these guys, and now I can't call these guys because these guys or these women or these other people, whatever your gender is, you know, um, you know, all this stuff I was involved with. I mean, they were filling my time with all this stuff, with gossip and stupid talk and all this other stuff, and you're coming down from a lifestyle. Are you hearing me? And see, God wants to fill that space. And your flesh isn't used to spiritual things. That's why I always tell people, when God fills you with the Holy Spirit, especially when he first fills you, you've got to spend as much time as you can praying in the Holy Spirit because that's rad stuff. And what you don't realize is, you know, some guy said, man, you got to fight fire with fire. I said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. He looked at me and goes, why? I said, man, if my house is burning down, I want the fire trucks jumping out with flamethrowers. I mean, I don't want them fighting the fire with fire. I want them to come with some a lot of water and a hose that's really honking big. Are you hearing me? If you got a fire that's burning in your life, you got to pour the water of the Spirit of God on it. Man, when I, look, my lifestyle, my goal out of high school was to be a male prostitute. I was selling my body to do stuff I never want to remember for the rest of my life. And when I resisted all that sexual temptation, and when I first got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean, I had three months, because you know how when you're first saved, it's like three months of just like, Heaven on earth. You know, your first three months, it's always like about three months. Your first three months, you've got this grace period where it's like, man, it's incredible. I mean, Bambi's on the, on the front lawn. Lassie's sitting in the back. I mean, man, the sky is blue where it's like you're peeling the petals off the flowers. Oh, he loves me. He loves me not. Oh, he loves me. I mean, man, it's heaven. About three months in, you know, all of a sudden you get smack hit with reality. And you're like, what happened? You wake up like three months into it, and you're like, what happened, man? Am I no longer saved? What's going on in my life? What's, what's happening? Three months in, man, all of a sudden somebody, it's hunting season, and somebody killed Bambi, and, and Bambi's head's on their, over their fireplace. And somebody ran over Lassie, or your cat probably killed it. <laughs> killed Lassie. How many of you know your dog's going to heaven, but your cat's ended up in hell? Anybody know that? Anyway, just wanted you to know that. That's just a revelation right there. So enjoy your cat now because you're not going to see him in eternity. Hear this because <laughs> your cat's going to burn. <laughs> no, hear this. I just lost some people. They said, well, there goes the anointing. <laughs> um, hear me. You know, you wake up. I remember I was three months into my salvation process, and, man, I woke up one morning, and I was struggling with lust, man. I was struggling with lust so bad. It was horrible. I mean, it was horrible. Man, I could, I'm really good at memorizing Bible scriptures. I'm really good at memorizing stuff. And I mean, I, I got my Bible open in front of me, and I'm struggling, man. I am struggling. It took me the better part of three hours to memorize one half of one verse. That's how bad the battle was in my mind. I always remember stuff in my past, lustful things. I'm like, I remember they were telling me, man, if binding doesn't work, loose it. If loosing doesn't work, cast it. If casting doesn't work, run! And I'm, I'm trying it all, man. I'm rebuking. I'm binding. I'm trying to memorize scripture. I, I mean, man, I'm struggling. All of a sudden, the door, <laughs> the door knocks. Somebody knocked at the door because if the door knocked, that would be freaky. So somebody knocks at the door, man. And I open up the door, and there's this girl standing there, a girl I had met. This is when I was in med school. A girl I had met in medical school once. She was in the class. She was in the class ahead of me. And she, I'd only talked to her 30 seconds, tops one minute. I didn't even remember her name. She's standing there in front of me. And I said, hi. And she looked at me, and she, well, I'm not going to repeat what she said because they're like, we're saved. But basically, she says, hey, buddy, I'm hot to trot. You and me, let's hit it right now. You're hot. 
How does she even find my room? Do you, I want to tell you the truth. It was at that instant. I have three months saved. It was at that instant that I realized there's a devil. It was at that instant that I realized that the devil has a plan to get you. It was at that instant because I realized, oh, my goodness. I mean, what are the odds? I'm struggling for the last three hours with this thought process. I'm under this horrible spirit of lust. I have this thing on me, and all of a sudden, she just shows up. I don't think so. And she shows up just by coincidence at my door. I'm not. That's no way. Right? And I realized this. It was at that instant I realized this is a trap. And I'm not ashamed to tell everybody in this room what I did at that instant. I'm looking at her. She's looking at me. I mean, she's just telling me she's like hot for this. And I'm looking at her and she's looking at me. And I went, ah! I literally screamed that loud. Ah! And I slammed the door. I'm just telling you, man. The Bible says there's no temptation that overtakes you, but such as common a man. And with that, God will give you a way of escape. My way of escape was slamming that door in that girl's face. I got on my knees on this side of the door and preached to the door. I didn't even know she was still there. I preached. I said, I'm so sorry. It's not personal. I just love Jesus a lot more than I love doing that. What have I just said? You know, Lord, I'm a man. I've got needs. You designed me this way. God, you know, if you didn't want me to be like this, you wouldn't have made me so horny, God. I'm a man. I could have just said, you know what, I could just do this, and I'll just go to church on Sunday and ask for forgiveness. It's over. I'm not married. It's not major. There are people that think like this. And I'm telling you what, if I had done that, I would not be here today. I'm convinced God would never, I believe that was a major test in my life to see whether I was fit for what God had called me to do in my life. And, and man, I'm standing there and all the rest, and you're saying, what does that got to do with what you're talking about? It's got everything to do with what I'm talking about. I mean, think about how much clutter we put in our rooms. Put oh, So much stuff, so much compromise that we make in our minds saying, okay, if things don't go the way I want them to go, then you know what? I'm going to just do this. That, that is cluttering your decisions and the things you're thinking about. Some of us have made decisions already. If things don't go the way we want, we're just going to compromise and we're just going to head into sin. And you know what? We just say to the Lord, and you know what? We're filling that room with a whole bunch of junk, and God says, would you just open up some open space so I can fill that space? I want to fill that space with myself, and I'm going to satisfy you. Do you know what happened? When I shut that door and said that, I, I wasn't going to give an altar call. There's no way I was opening that door. I mean, I just spoke through the door and all the rest. I went back, but I felt like this rush. I felt like this amazing rush. I'm like, I just overcame something major. I felt the presence of God, and all of a sudden, all that lust and all that stuff went away. It was amazing. It's like I emptied myself of that temptation, and God gave me the strength to overcome because it wasn't me. It was the Lord's strength. Overcame that, and I poured the water of the Holy Spirit on that spot, and God filled that empty spot of lust. That lust that Jesus saved me from and delivered me from became an empty space, and God came rushing in and filled that space. Is this making sense to anybody here right now? He filled that space, and that became a strength in my life. It became an overcoming thing in my life. Is this making sense to anybody? This lady made room for God. Are you making room for God? Or are you just giving him a little cubby hole or a little space on the porch? Or you're saying, well, I can't let him in because you don't know the junk that's inside there, man. I mean, if he sees that stuff, no, man. He wants to help you get all that junk out. 
let's get that stuff out and let's just get Jesus in. Can I get an amen from somebody? That's good preaching right there. Amen? Now, listen to me, right? So, so she makes room and he comes in. Now, I want you to see what happens when you make room for God. Because this sounds hard to people in this room, but it's hard, but it's so worth it. Oh, it's so worth it. I feel like saying stay tuned for next week, but like I'm totally not going to be here. But hear this, right? Jesus, Jesus has this thing. So she makes room. And I just want you to see something about Jesus in this. So she makes room. And while God is there, did this lady ask for a blessing of a child in her life? Yes or no? No, she didn't. I want you to see what happens. When you make room for God, you don't even have to ask. He starts bringing blessings to you. In the most crucial areas of need in your life, the areas that are the biggest hurts inside of you, he'll take care of it. This is a major hurt. A major hurt. She can't have a kid. This is major. We talked about this last night. This is major. Is it major, yes or no? You better believe it is. It's a major hurt. He calls her to himself and says, hey, does she have a need? Will you be spoken of to the commander of the army? Do you need anything? What is her response? Oh, I love this. Oh, man. I wish, I'm praying this for everybody in this room. She says, I live among my own people. What does she say? Man, yeah, I might want a child, but I'm not even going to bring that up because the fact that God is in the house, that's good enough for me. That's good enough for me. Your being here is good enough for me. She's saying, I'm content where I'm at because I have the Lord and the Lord has me. You know, contentment is a powerful force in your life. You know, it's the devil who tries to say, oh, really? Don't you think you should have what that person wants? Don't you think you should have this? You know, this, our whole society is built on a lack of contentment. They're aiming at you saying, you know, you're not satisfied because you don't have the latest iPhone. You don't have the latest thing. You don't have the latest gizmo. You don't have the latest stuff. Really? Seriously? I know a family man. The, the guy is still in prison today. He married to this wonderful, they're, they're, um, they're from Puerto Rico. They're Puerto Ricans from Puerto Rico, he was a good guy, man, hard worker, man, hard worker, man, hard worker, loved his family, but his buddies kept telling him, man, you don't have everything that you need, you're working hard, you're barely squeaking by, but he had a wife who loved him and three kids that loved him, and you know, they're, they're like, they kept, man, you know, you know, you don't have this, listen, you know what, man, you just gotta, hey, look, just bring this stuff, man, just bring this stuff, some drugs. Just deliver this stuff, man. They're going to give you 10G. I mean, man, you just need to get this stuff and bring it over there. Man, you know what? And they kept telling him about you could have this and get your family on this. And, you know, you could get your family this and this and this. And pretty soon he didn't realize how stupid this whole thing was. All he saw was what they told him his family wanted, which, by the way, his family had never asked for. Discontentment. Getting upset with the blessings you've got. That's the way the devil works. You don't have what you really want to have. I wasn't even thinking about that. Oh, yeah, but you weren't thinking about it because you know what? Deep down inside, you really want this. You need this. You need to have this new toy for your kids. Your kids really want this. You need to have this thing. I, is that, am I saying anything here that resonates with anybody? Okay. you got to have this. I don't want this. you got to have this. You don't have the body that you want. Well, that's never going to happen. <laughs> right? The, you know, they do all these commercials, man. I mean, this stuff, eat whatever you want to, just take this pill, and you'll look like this guy who's been working out for all these years and is probably on steroids. I don't think so. <laughs> you don't have to change your eating habits. Just take this pill, and you're going to look like that guy. No, man, I'm happy. You know, man, if I want to look like that guy, I'll stop being happy and do all the stuff he's doing. I'm happy. Now, listen to me, everybody. 
this guy, I feel so bad about this. So he decided he would take this stuff, and what he didn't realize is they were pretty sure that where all this stuff, these drugs were being dropped, was being watched by the cops, and they used him as the idiot. He went in there, and they caught him, and they threw the book at him. 15 years in prison, bawling his eyes out. He looked at his wife and said, all I could think about was all the things that you, I wanted to get you guys. And she looked at him, and she said, all I wanted was you being in the house. I just wanted you. And now you're not going to even be here, and our kids are going to grow up without you. This is what the devil does. Amen? This lady found contentment. She was happy where she was. She says, I'm blessed because what did she have? She had the presence of the Lord in the house. Amen. Can you be happy enough just to have Jesus? Can you be happy enough just to have the Lord? Can you be happy just to have that? I tell you what, if you're happy with him, I'm telling you what, he's going to come fill that space. And you know what? Without you even asking, he's going to say, what can I do for you? I want to bless you. I'm going to give you whatever you want. When you empty the space and he comes in, he comes in packing with all these blessings he wants to give you. And you don't even have to worry about the blessings. He'll bring them to you. But the devil says, no, you don't have enough. That's how he messes with you. That's how he's messing with people today. I'm just telling you, I'm speaking truth here. You need to receive it. And you know what? She says, you know what? I don't need anything. I'm happy. And Gehazi brings up the fact she doesn't have a kid. She doesn't have a kid. And he says, by the, this time next year, you and your husband are going to have a kid. And she's like, oh, don't. She doesn't even have. She can't even believe it. Don't even say it. Don't, I'm not asking for it. Don't even say it. But a year later after they noogie noogie, she's got a kid. Amen? Come on, can somebody get happy for this lady? Right? She's got a kid. And she's playing with him. Now, I want you to see something. Something that you don't often think about when you're reading the Bible, and you guys got to get this, is that in the story that I read to you, it's one chapter, but a lot of time goes by. See, you're thinking this just all happens, boom, bada, you know, bim, bada, boom, it just happens. No, time goes by because the kid grows up, so some years go by. And if you're following the story well enough, you realize the room where God's presence had come in the persons of the prophet, the room gets emptied out and he hasn't been there for a while. Are you hearing me? Elisha doesn't know what has happened in the family or with the kid. Knows nothing about what's going on. Why? Because he hasn't been there for quite some time. Now that'll preach. Why? Because when we open up and invite God in and make our lives inviting and God's presence fills the empty spot. And when he comes in and he blesses us for things we haven't asked. Oh, you know what happens? Pretty soon we start enjoying the blessings and we forget God. And we don't do the stuff that brought him and attracted him in the first place. I'm preaching something good here. I want you to hear me. I've seen this happen in people's lives. I've seen this happen in churches. I've seen this happen when, when all of a sudden, you know, things are happening. God's presence starts coming and they just start running and the prayer starts getting less. Because everybody's like, hey, man, we got so many people and the prayer gets less and the stuff gets less and the things get less. And we stop pursuing God because the blessings overtake us and we start enjoying the blessings and we forget God. Hey, you know what? That's something that the Bible talks about in the book of Deuteronomy. When God says, I'm going to give you the promised land. And when you go in there and you live in homes that you didn't build and you're reaping harvest in land that you didn't work on, beware lest you forget the Lord your God. Because, man, when God starts giving you blessings, man, it gets pretty easy to forget God. 
You know what? I want to tell you something. Just in our own ministry, God exploded our ministry when all these countries, all these things are happening. I mean, we see all these miracles happen. And you know what? My number one worry is, my number one concern is, God, please let us not forget the passion of seeking after you. Because, God, you've blessed us. You've given us favor. All these things are happening. Man, you know, we have planted. Can I tell you something? We have seen all these churches. I think I told you guys, we celebrate our 431st church plant. And the majority of the nations where we've planted churches are Islamic countries. I mean, we have been blessed. I mean, they've given us land. One, one mullah, the head of a mosque, you know, his wife was carried and dying into one of the meetings. She walked out on her own power completely healed. Com weeping and crying tears, streaming down his face. He said, here's 30 acres of land. I don't care what you do, but please, whatever you do with this land that I own, I'm giving it to you. He goes, whatever you do, you have to build a church on this land. This is the leader of a mosque telling us we got to build a church. You know what? That does not happen if you're not seeking God. And you can't just seek God for a little while. you got to keep seeking God. You know what? When the day hits you and you realize you need Jesus every bit as much today as the day before you got saved, that's when all of a sudden the blessings keep continuing in your life. But this lady, after the blessing came, I can imagine they're rejoicing in their son. Things are going good. They're super blessed. Everything's happening and all the rest. And now the room's been empty for a long period of time. And you know what happens? The kid gets sick and he dies. Everybody say boo-hoo. He dies. Because you, know you know what happens? What matters the most in your life is not the blessings that are in your life, but the presence of God in your house, even after the blessings are there. It's not the blessings we rejoice in. It's God we rejoice in. It's God we delight in. It's Jesus we delight in. It's Jesus we need more than any other thing. Are you hearing me? We need to delight in the Lord. God, have you given me blessings? You better believe it. But God, more than anything else, you're the one I want. I got all these blessings you gave me. I didn't deserve them. I didn't ask me and ask for them. Thank you so much for these blessings. But Jesus, it's you that I want. Now, I want you to see this. This is really important. The child dies. Where did she put the dead kid? Where'd she put him? In the room, the place that she had made room for God. She went right back to the beginning. She went right back. She's like, you know what? This room is empty, but I'm going to go back in that room. And she brought the blessing that now had been lost. She brings him and places him on the bed, closes the door, says to her husband, I need a servant. We need to do something about this. He's like, why? The kid's probably, he's dead. What does it matter? It's not a new moon. Why are you going? I mean, this guy's a doofus. She takes the donkey. She gets to the man of God. He sees her from a distance. She says, wow, look, ask her. She says to the servant, Gehazi, ask her, is everything well? Is everything okay? Is the kid fine? Yeah, everything's fine. Was that actually true? No. Is she lying? She's not even so much lying as much as she's speaking faith. Because you know what? She may have lost her connection, but now she's going to see again in the eyes of faith. And she says, you know, I never asked for this blessing. But this blessing came because the presence of God. I'm going to go back to seeking God and bringing this blessing. So I'm going to go back to being a positive person of faith. I've lost this connection. I've lost this faith. I've lost all this stuff. I'm going to go back to what I should be. And you know what? She looks at him and she says, I want to tell you something. Everything's fine, but it's really not. But I'm going to speak something that's faith. And when she gets to him, she reveals by her holding on. See, this is what's significant. Everybody misses this point. She grabs him. She says, everything's fine because she goes back to seeking God and she wants this. She's embracing the presence of God again. Man, she gets pretty low, doesn't she? She's embracing his feet. 
She gets low, man. She gets low. And she goes like this. Everything's fine. Why is it fine? Because, man, I'm not leaving until the blessing of God comes back in my life. Man, things are all messed up. But you know what? As long as I can connect with God and touch God again, man, everything's going to be fine. You know, I just want to tell you something. I'm going to, God, I'm not going to hold this. And she looks at him. She's heartbroken. She goes, I didn't ask for a kid. I didn't ask for one. And Elisha has moved. Now, listen, anybody who knows their, their Bible, and you may not know your Bible. <laughs> I'm like lounging here. I thought, don't be alone. Sorry. Anyway, hear this. Anybody who knows this story knows Gehazi was not a good guy. This servant of God, the associate pastor of Elisha Ministries, was not a good guy. This guy was messed up. And you, when you read a little bit more, you find out he was messed up. So Elisha says to him, hey, take my staff, go pray for him. Now go. And she's like, you could send him, but I ain't moving until you come. She's already made up her mind. I'm not leaving unless you come back to my house. God, I'm not asking for a servant. I'm asking for you. I'm not asking for anybody else. I'm not asking for a blessing. I want you back. Until you come back, I'm not moving. Somebody's got to get up in their house and say, unless God comes into this house, I'm not going to stop seeking God. We need God in the house. I'm tired of church services where God isn't there. We're not leaving the prayer altar till God comes back. There comes a point in time where you've had enough. You had enough yet? How much more needs to happen in this community? You had enough yet? How many more people got to die? You had enough yet? How many more common same services are going to happen? Have you had enough? She says, I'm not leaving unless you come back. And what happens? Her determination totally motivates him. And he says, okay, he follows her. You know, one day you're going to see how many times God sends somebody and says, you know, Jesus sent his disciples and said, go into this area to the place I'm going to come. He follows our passion. He follows our pursuing. He follows our prayers. He says, you go and you go with passion and I'll follow you. Show me that you're passionate. Abandon yourself. Plant your feet and say, uh-uh, no more until you show up, God. You show up, God. She was determined to get God back in. And you know what? Her, her spiritual discerning had come back because she realized she could send Gazi, but nothing's going to happen with this guy. God's going to come. Gazi goes, lays the staff on, nothing happens. No big surprise there. And then Elisha comes in. Dude, I mean, this is like, this is kind of gross. I mean, the kid's been dead for a little while. You know, this travel wasn't like she just jumped on the highway and there was no traffic and went over there. This took a while. He's been dead a little while. You think that smelled good? He walks back in the room where she's in that room that she had made room for God. And he gets up there and lays on this dead kid. Everybody say, yuck, yuck, yuck. He gets on this dead kid who's been smelling, He's, he just lays, I mean, completely on him like this. Gets up, walks around, prays some, goes back. I mean, you know what? There was effort there. He made one declaration the child was born after they noogie noogied. But it took a while to get that kid up. You know, I'm trying to say something. After you've lost this passion for God, there's an inertia. It is hard 
to get back into the things of God. You know, you just think, I could just pick it up like that. It's not like that. It's like after you've gotten in shape, although in my opinion, round is a shape. Um, but after, I think I just lost something here. I just probably destroyed the sound system. Um, after, oh, there it is again. It's a miracle. Um, after you've gotten in shape, and then all of a sudden, you kind of lose it again, it's hard to get back in it. After you get out of your routine that got you the discipline, that got you into the place that you wanted to be, and all of a sudden you get out of it, it's hard to get back. The older you get, the harder it is. But you know what? you got to keep getting after it. But see, a lot of people are like, man, I mean, I lost it, but I'm going to try to get back into it. And all of a sudden they're like, man, I tried a few times. And what happened? It takes a while. But if you keep pushing, it will. And God's presence will come. you got to just keep pushing. We gotta push against ourselves. Tonight, we need to make room for God. How do we do that? Kind of hard to do in a church service. <laughs> because what he's asking is to mess up your routine. How many, how many of you are willing for God to totally mess up your life and your routine for him to come? How many of you, it's easy to say it in the passion of the moment. Oh yeah! When it, it's kind of like, okay, God, I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to start, I'm going to go for a run, God, and I'm going to eat a bran muffin instead of that really good breakfast burrito, man, with some green chili, salsa, and a really sugary cup of coffee because I think they go good together. <laughs> oh, man. But no, Lord, that really dry bran muffin going to get up and run, run. <laughs> Man, it's raining outside. Who wants to run? <laughs> Man, when I fast and pray, I don't know why it is, but in the first three days, because after you go like three or four days of fasting, I mean, it doesn't matter afterwards. I mean, you break through and it doesn't matter. You can go 50 days. It doesn't matter. But those first four days are the hardest of a fast. And Man, I don't know for you how it goes, but man, after that, First day, I just start thinking about the white chocolate chip macadamia nut cookies that are in the counter up in the thing, and I'm like, man, maybe somebody came to the house and stole those things, man. <laughs> man, I go over there and open up the thing. Now they're still there. Praise God, man. Close them up, man. Man, was that the same amount that I remember before? Man, I open it up and take the package out. Man, I think one's missing. <laughs> Told Carol not to touch those. Those are mine, man. You know, whatever, man, man, those are beautiful, man. Look at that. Look at the way God made those things. Surely the Lord would not keep from me that which came from him. All of a sudden, there are crumbles on the ground, and I'm sitting there going, why did I eat that and break my fast? Oh, man, since I broke the fast, I might as well eat everything that's in that package right now. I'm sure none of you has ever gone through that. Man, I mean, I, dude, I close my eyes sometimes. I mean, I'm in prayer. I'm on my face like those first three, four days of a fast. I'm on my face, and I'm seeking God, and all of a sudden, all I'm seeing in the eyes of my spirit are huge chocolate chip cookies the size of the Rocky Mountains. And I see them with smiles like, eat me. Jesus gave me to you. I'm yours. <laughs> Man, I mean, it is hard. 
You know, I mean, the desire is there at first, man, I want to see God, but then all of a sudden, man, all of a sudden the reality of the discipline hits in. The desire is there, but when the idea of the discipline hits, then I wonder why those rooms are empty and God's not filling them. Man, I had that big room that got empty from all my lust. And Jesus filled it. And all I know is I want God to keep filling that room because I want to go back to that life. You know, God's been good to me. I've been faithful to my wife. I haven't gotten plugged into porn. I, had, I, I haven't, um, and believe me, when you travel as much as I do, there are temptations that come. Man, I was at an altar. I was at an altar in Alabama. I was in an altar preaching at this big church in Alabama, and this lady wearing a disgusting outfit was at the altar, and she comes up to me. She goes, oh, Brother Dean, you are so anointed, grabs my hand and literally puts my hand and brings it to her cleavage. What do you do in a situation like that? Now, if you haven't figured this out about me, I mean, I don't really care what people think. I mean... I started not caring, and as I've aged, I care even less. <laughs> and I looked at her, and I went, get away from me, you whore, at that level, at God's altar. I'm not kidding you. I did that. I mean, as God is my witness, that happened. I shoved her away. I said, get away from me, you whore. I bind you in the name of Jesus. The pastor said to me afterwards when he took me out to lunch, he said, that was a little over the top. I said, what was a little over the top? The fact that she wasn't wearing a top or what? <laughs> and he says, then come to find out it's one of the pastors, uh, the, the uh, elders or the board members' wives. I looked at him and I looked at him and I said, what was over the top? He said, you didn't have to call her a whore. I said, well, number one, that's what she was. I didn't ask her to take my hand and put it on her cleavage. I don't want that. I feel like taking a shower. I want to wash my hands. I looked at, her, I looked at him and I said, if I hadn't dealt with that, I wouldn't have been protecting myself because you sure didn't help. I said, you know what? If I'd fallen into lust and gone where that horror was leading me, I want to tell you something. You would have been the first person to stand up and say, I'm judging that guy. You should be backing me up. Listen, man, I'm not here. You know, if a doctor looks at you and says you got a, a horrible meta, 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 when you got a very invasive cancer that's metastasizing, and he looks at you and says it's bad, and it's, I mean, it's the worst kind, you're not going to look at him and say, yeah, yeah, you know, listen, tell you what, let me get back to you in a couple of weeks, let me think about it. You know what you're going to do? You're going to act exactly like I did. But you know what? The problem is we treat cancer the way we should treat sin. And we treat sin as if it's nothing. Sin is the worst thing that will happen. I want to stand before God pure on that day. And that's going to take being radical about the way I treat this stuff. And when there's temptation, I'm going to tell everybody, pray for me. This is what I'm struggling with. I want God to feel good living in me. And if he's sitting there, did it ever occur to you, I'm did it ever occur to you that if you have received Christ as Savior, he's in your body right now? Has that ever occurred to you? He's inside of you, which means you're dragging him everywhere you're going, making him look at everything you're looking at, indulging what it is you're indulging in. 
and he's got to be in there. Why do you think it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, if we go on sinning willfully after having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment, the fury of God that will consume his adversaries. Why do you think it says, why do you openly crucify Christ again in the flesh? You know what that means? He's living inside of you, man. And you're crucifying him again. You're crucifying. I mean, you're literally spitting on the one who died for you by indulging sin over and over and over and over again. And after a period of time, he's like, I'm out of here because you're not welcoming me here. You're letting me know I'm not welcome. You're trying to use me, man. You're trying to use me to, as a get-out-of-hell-free card while you could go have your fun. Jesus Christ did not die on a cross and get raised from the dead so you could feel better about your sinning. He died to deliver you from the power of sin itself. Are you hearing me? You don't have to go back to that junk. He will take out the desire for it. Can I just make this very practical? Can I? Can I? Encourage me. Come on, encourage me. Okay. Let's say you got a teenage daughter. And she brings a guy home who just got out of prison on a technicality. And he was a cannibal rapist. He raped people and then ate them. And he comes home with your daughter, and he says, man, when I was in prison, I mean, I got, like, saved. I received Jesus. But, man, I'm not perfect. I'm forgiven. Can I have your daughter for lunch? I mean, over for lunch. <laughs> You're going to let that guy go out with your daughter. Be honest. Yes or no? Why not? He said he got saved, that he's not perfect, but he's forgiven. Is that the attitude you want to hear from this guy? Or do you want this guy to say, same guy, to look at you and say, look, I did horrible and disgusting things. And let me out on technicality, but I came to Jesus in there. But I totally understand if you don't want me to have anything to do with your daughter. Because you know what? I didn't deserve to get saved, and I don't deserve to be in a nice home like this home, and I don't deserve to go out with your daughter. Listen, I can understand that completely. I just want you to know I will do my, I, I'm doing my best to do everything I can. If you want to send family with me, you want to send a little sister with me, you want to send somebody else with me, it's okay. I totally understand that. If you don't trust me and all the rest, but I want to prove myself to you. Is that what you want to hear? And if he says that, are you more willing to let this guy go out with your daughter while you're chaperoning him and you got cameras and you got a weapon and you're sitting about three booths away at the restaurant? <laughs> are you hearing me? <laughs> you know what, man? Listen to me when I say this. I know God forgives people and forgives and, and delivers them, and God makes them different because I'm one of those people. When I told my complete testimony to my, who was soon going to be my sister-in-law, we I wasn't married to my wife yet. When I told my, as we were driving her from D.C. where we led her to Christ, and we're driving her back to Colorado to get out of a life thing that's going on in her life. When we're driving back, and we're driving cross-country in a stick shift little Chevette going through the mountains, and I totally burned out the clutch. But anyway, so as, as we're doing this, as we're driving, I tell her my testimony. And you know what she said to me? She goes, if I didn't know that Jesus could change people's lives, I would say, don't you ever get near my sister and don't you ever lay a hand on her, ever. But I know God, could, but I proved myself. Are you hearing me? Guys, don't drag Jesus to a whole bunch of junk and don't excuse your sin and say, well, I'm forgiven. Everybody else is bad. Who cares? You say, you know, God, 
I don't even deserve to be in your house. You'd be like the publican who, who, who the Pharisee and the publican are in the house of God, and the publican is beating his chest. The Pharisee saying, I'm grateful. I'm not like the scumbag over here. Don't you ever be like that guy. You'd be like the publican who's beating his chest, and he's saying, God, I'm not even worthy to lift up my eyes in your presence. And Jesus said, that guy went away justified. Man, let's be sensitive. Let's make room for God. Let's be attractive. So the power, the supernatural power of God. Can I tell you something? If you let him into every area, every disease you have will be completely healed. And not just that, but you'll have a house that walks in health. Can I tell you something? Every bondage will be broken. He will bring in every blessing. And your house will be a house of deliverance. But you've got to make room for God, and you've got to lay this stuff out. I can't do that for you. I can't, I can't wave my hand over you and pray a blessing like that. You've got to decide you're going to go through the pain so that you'll see all the gain. You've got to make the decision saying, God, I don't care if I wake up tomorrow morning. I don't feel it. I am not going back to this stuff. God, I would rather die right than live one more minute wrong. God, I've got to do this for you. And I promise you this. I make this promise. If you make a true decision... We will hear testimonies of people that will say, man, I don't know what happened, but I was sick, and I know I'm completely well. I don't even know why. I, 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 I can't believe this, but I'm, and it's all because you made your house, your life, more inviting to God. And he came in, and without you even asking for the blessing, he provided you with the blessing you were looking for. Who's in, all in for that? Anybody in this room all in for that? Are you willing to go through whatever pain that might mean? Okay, let's do this. Everybody stand up. If you're willing to do this, stand up. And would you all come down to the altar? And can, can I get my brother from a different mother on the keyboard over here? Bro, where are you? Oh, there you are, man. <laughs> Dude, like you're right in front of me. I'm like totally dorking out here. Can you come up here? I want to ask you to all, everybody come on up, all right, would you? Come up to God's altar. This is what we're going to do, all right? I really encourage you to do something, something I like. <laughs> and ironically, fun is my Chinese neighbor's middle name. It's so weird. But hear this. Yeah, come on up here. This is what I want us to do, okay? I don't know what the stuff is. I do know, though, that God will fill whatever you empty. I don't know if it's a sin, if it's a lust, if it's anger, if it's greed, if it's stuff you're holding on to. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's lying, cheating, I don't know. But you know what? I do know that God will forgive you. And I know God will fill the empty space. You know, isn't it interesting? God designed the world in such a way that science proves the stuff that the Bible talks about. And I know that nature abhors a vacuum. It always rushes in to fill an empty spot. And God was trying to show you what you empty, he will fill. He was trying to show the world, I will fill whatever's empty with myself. And what he fills, the devil can't come in and have any room in. Isn't that amazing? That's why I know when a person's filled with God, the devil can't, he can't touch that. It wasn't MC Hammer that came out of it. Can't touch this. <laughs> it was God that said it. He can't touch, nobody, you know. God said in his word long before MC Hammer came around. God said, no one will touch my prophet. He, the devil can't touch it. 
Now, I don't know what the thing is, but this is what I'm going to ask you to do. As my brother and you, whatever you feel led to kind of lead in worship, you can do that here for the next little bit. But as he leads in worship, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to do business with God, and I want you not to be silent, okay? For the next few days, we're just going to get in contact with our, our inner Greek, <laughs> amen? And I want you to lift up your voice, and I want you to talk out loud. I don't care who's next.